Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to continue our answer to one of the most common questions that we get asked on CISO Tradecraft. What do I need to learn to be a good CISO? After a lot of reflection, we at CISO Tradecraft have put together a top 10 list of CISO knowledge domains that we think are the core skills which produce really good CISOs. Now, this episode will go over the last five areas as we covered the first five in our first episode. Well, don't worry, I'll do a quick review. Remember that you can go to our CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find not only 10 CISO knowledge domains, but all of our previous episodes grouped into these categories. Either click the link in the episode notes for the podcast or go to the URL github.com slant CISO Tradecraft, and then click through where it says podcast. As always, please follow us on LinkedIn, and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. In our last episode, we discussed these five knowledge domains. Number one, product security. Knowing the tools and techniques you can use to ensure that software products developed by your organization have been thoroughly checked for vulnerabilities using tools like SAST, DAST, and application vulnerability scanners. Number two, defensive technologies. Knowing how to apply layers of security defenses to protect your enterprise and making wise procurement decisions both for initial purchase as well as considering potentially better options at renewal. Number three, detection and response capabilities. Instrumenting our enterprise to capture threat indicators and log inputs, correlating them to threat intelligence, and making timely decisions to respond and recover. Number four, laws, regulations, and oversight. Ensuring that we as C-level officers understand the legal and regulatory framework in which our organizations operate and know what reporting requirements exist in the event of a compromise or an incident. And number five, enabling technologies, partnering with other business teams such as marketing to reach employees and customers with security-related communications and creating business cases for security improvements that can drive an improvement in financial performance as well as reducing risk in a measurable manner. All right, now we're ready to resume our list of CISO knowledge domains to help you be a more effective security leader. Number six, risk management. It's a practice area which every CISO must master. At its core, a CISO needs risk management to effectively identify what are the biggest risks or uncertainties to the company, what's the likelihood and magnitude of a potential attack, and how to estimate the cost of remediation. These fundamental concepts ensure that decisions are made based upon minimizing the damage to the organization, not just acquiring the latest and greatest tools without consideration of their effectiveness or impact on the business. To build an effective risk management function within your organization, there are a number of different things you need to understand how to implement. One of the first decisions to make is to identify your risk appetite or willingness to assume some amount of uncertainty in return for attempting to achieve some sort of benefit or reward. This represents a starting point for discussions about risk. Leaders of companies like Tesla are willing to take on strategies that are by no means guaranteed to succeed, but if they do, will produce outsized rewards. Traditional financial institutions tend to exhibit a low-risk appetite, showing a general unwillingness to engage in speculative or risky behavior in spite of the potential rewards. 
know, noted that regulation and government oversight just might have something to do with this. But when it comes to cybersecurity, your risk appetite trade-offs might include importance of speed to market versus ironclad security, or increased portability of equipment containing sensitive information versus maintaining proprietary information in a secure enclave. Essentially, you're answering the question, do you want to drive a Volvo or a Ducati? Next, you need to determine your organization's risk tolerance. How much risk are you allowed to take when executing your business strategy, or what is your range of acceptable results? There's a local injury law firm that runs a lot of television advertising, and a recent commercial featured the lead partner saying something like, insurance companies have a lot of money to fight paying your claim, but we're the largest firm in the country and we can match them dollar for dollar. Now, that statement, if substantiated, suggests that the law firm will risk a lot of capital to earn even more with a win, understanding that from time to time they may lose their investment. In cyber, your risk tolerance refers to the amount of uncertainty you are willing to accept within the limits of your organization's risk appetite. Emphasis added. You can usually be more conservative than the limits you're given, but you could lose your job by being more liberal and something bad does occur. Risk threshold refers to the level of risk below which the uncertainty may be accepted. For example, a manager may be allowed to spend up to 100000 Director must approve greater expenses up to a million, maybe a VP up to five million, and the board of directors for anything above that. However, the disconnect may be that the organization has only set a spending limitation, not a risk limitation. That is, who looks at a manager's authorized spend of $50,000 on an IT initiative that potentially creates a $10 million risk to the organization? Although your chief financial officer may have set spending authority limits for different business roles, engage in a discussion to introduce a requirement for risk evaluation to ensure that risk acceptance is made at the correct level. You should only be able to make the argument that a manager can only authorize a purchase that does not involve introducing risk above that individual spending limit. Now, that may sound rather subtle, but there are many examples of quote, bet the farm decisions that went badly that were made by persons well down in the ranks. Oliver Wyman offers a white paper on deploying a cyber risk strategy, wherein they offer five strategic moves to achieve business needs, satisfy regulators, and meet fiduciary responsibilities. Number one, seek to quantify cyber risk in terms of capital and earnings at risk. Number two, Anchor all cyber risk governance through risk appetite. Number three, ensure effectiveness of independent cyber risk oversight using specialized skills. Number four, comprehensively map and test controls, especially for third-party interactions. And number five, develop and exercise major incident management playbooks. For example, your risk strategy may suggest that although we cannot afford 100% compliance within this cybersecurity framework, we will comply with all appropriate laws to ensure we can operate legally in every country we service. Organizations also build a risk matrix that aggregates and prioritizes risk according to a risk profile. Here we would expect to see the likelihood and impact of a risk. The pro tip here is to focus on the remediation plans and timelines. Instead of just allowing users to enter a short paragraph that doesn't fully address the risk, we recommend breaking the risk remediation plan out into the five distinct phases of the NIST cybersecurity framework, 
identification, prevention, detection, response, and recovery. And this will allow decision makers to think more effectively of how their risks can be fully defended. As a CISO, you need to measure your risk management program for effectiveness. Build a few risk metrics that you can report to leadership. For example, what percentage of remediation plans were delivered effectively? What impacts of risks were reduced or transferred by working the risk remediation plan? If you're looking to learn more about risk management, then check out our CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on the topic, such as third-party risk management with Scott Fairbrother, protecting your crown jewels with Roselle Safran, or more risky business with FAIR. Number seven, governance is about understanding what technology your organization uses so you can effectively manage it through defined processes. This can be particularly helpful when your organization wants a CISO who can optimize how your resources are spent. Now, to be fair, this can be some of the most challenging work. Just look at ads and inventory. Now, if laptops and servers got assigned, is there something that recorded them being issued? Is there something that ensures the organization could obtain a real-time inventory of all the software which is running on each box? And, by the way, the status of updates. Is there a trackable way to know when things are retired or sunsetted? If not, you might have vulnerable software in your organization. Now, if that didn't sound difficult enough, try keeping a software inventory that spans many different technologies, such as network devices, appliances, EC2 servers, Lambda jobs, S3 buckets, containers, and multiple operating systems. It's quite difficult to find a solution that covers that full space. See, governance is bigger than asset inventory. It also includes writing IT policies, controls, and procedures, and these define your standards and objectives for the cyber organization. They allow you to meet cyber frameworks and also show that you can demonstrate compliance. If you're looking to learn more on governance, then check out our CISO Tradecraft GitHub page and find links to previous episodes on topics such as asset management, cyber frameworks, and IT governance. Number eight, identity and access management is about limiting the scope of an attacker who could cause harm to your organization. It starts out by first classifying users into roles, such as user, salesperson, administrator, etc. Next, the items that users want access to are identified as resources. And finally, there's a mapping between users and resources so that authorization can be performed. Now, best practice is to ensure that the roles use least privilege to only access the minimum number of resources necessary for a particular business function. This mapping is commonly implemented in a technology such as Active Directory or the lightweight Directory Access Protocol, LDAP. In addition to authorization, authentication is needed. Authentication means users need to identify themselves by providing something they know, such as a password, something they are, like a biometric, or something they have, such as a token or a certificate. Best practice is to use a multi-factor authentication approach with two or more authentication mechanisms. Users are commonly seen in the consumer space logging in with a password than an SMS code. And this space is also emerging as we see new technologies tell us about the connecting devices saying, I'm coming from this laptop, which is fully patched from this previously known IP address. See, these technologies can provide us with more fidelity that our connections and endpoints are secure. Another big thing with identity and access management is as one of the only security mechanisms CISOs can use to secure third-party software-as-a-service solutions. If you use Microsoft 365 or Gmail for your email, you might 
realize you probably don't have access to the source code. I don't know, maybe there's some people in China. Sorry to say that, but anyway. So you really have no way of knowing how secure their application is written. Now, Microsoft and Google don't allow you to modify their software as a service solution to meet specific standards, such as using only TLS 1.3. What they allow you to do is to make a small number of approved configuration changes and control which users have access to these services. Thus, assignment and periodic review of access approvals is key. We're going to have more episodes on this topic, so stay tuned. Future episodes may cover things like security certificates. If you're looking to learn more on identity access management, then check out our CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as identity and access management is a new perimeter and our episode on zero trust. Number nine, business management and leadership is an essential skill for executives to lead and influence others. These soft skills are critical to organizations where politics require effective leaders to implement change via large collaboration efforts. Remember, being a CISO is about being an executive who can speak up for the best interest of cybersecurity. To do that effectively, you need to master key skills such as leadership, effective communication, executive presence, influence, and persuasion. You need to be able to master these skills for both one-on-one as well as group settings. For example, the way you connect with your subordinates is very different than connecting in a room full of executives. With subordinates, it's about active listening. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they say things. Ask them questions to clarify. You understand what's going on, how you can best help them. And then do everything in your power to enable them to reach their full potential. With a room full of business executives, it's about conveying confidence. You want them to see that you know what you're doing. You're providing relevant information to reach a decision, and you're providing meaningful recommendations and not wasting their time. They'll see a thought-out plan that shows a clear path to success. Then all they need to do is give you a thumbs up, provide money or resources, and you make the organization's life better. Yes, there are similarities, such as learning to read and influence people, but there are key differences. The first is about communication skills, and the second is about business skills. Now, this is an area that really separates the technical experts from the cyber executives who get invited into leadership circles. And if you're looking to learn more on business management and leadership, then check out our CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as principles of persuasion, executive presence, how to read your boss, or crucial conversations. Number 10, finally, security culture is about building an organization where the entire company becomes resilient. Building a cybersecurity culture requires a strong focus on promoting security awareness and training. So, for example, employees don't click on malicious links or send sensitive data outside the company. To do this, you need to understand how to create change. Change is hard. Change is difficult, and because of this, most folks are resistant to change. One way to make change is to shine light on an issue. This usually starts with finding an issue that needs highlighting, putting some metrics to identify the current state, how things are trending, and highlighting a desired goal or objective. For example, we want to have less susceptibility to phishing. To help improve our defenses, we're performing phishing exercises to increase user education. The desired goal is we will have less than 5% click-through on our phishing emails, and at least 30% of employees report the phishing email when they see it. 
Each month, we will report progress and show which divisions perform best on the exercise. This will allow us to gamify the experience and help divisions where better training is needed. Simple actions like this, where metrics, gamification, and reward structures can be in place, can transform a belief that it's too hard to an organizational commitment of when we can do this. Lead the change. Make it positive. Nobody likes getting sent to the principal's office or getting a ticket, but people do like winning. It's addictive to know that your organization is the best in something, so let them brag about security and how they're focused on it. There'll be a marketing for you and doing your job, and when that happens, you'll get invited to a lot more meetings where you can make a difference. If you're looking to learn more about security culture, then check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on the topics such as change management, roses, buds, and thorns, and metrics that matter. Well, thanks again for taking the time to be with me to finish up our list of the top 10 skills every CISO needs. Remember to take time to reflect on these skills. Do a self-inventory and figure out where you need to focus. Look through the GitHub links to find material which can help you. And behind most of the episodes are great references in the show notes where you can read more content. Also, don't forget, feel free to reach out to us here at CISO Tradecraft. If there's a question you have or a topic you want to hear more about, go to our website at CISOTradecraft.com and submit a comment. We'd love to help you. Thanks again for listening and sharing this content with your friends. This is G. Mark Hardy, and I'm wishing you the best on your journey to learn CISO Tradecraft. Stay safe out there.